Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Uh, the scripture I'm going to read for us this morning is uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 to 14. We're continuing our series, The Upside Down Kingdom. It says, So in everything do to others what you should have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. If you're following along in your journal, we're on week five of our Upside Down Kingdom. So a passage like this, perhaps you've heard it before, maybe it's the first time you're hearing it. It's a little jarring to some degree. Jesus puts before us a decision to consider. And whenever I hear a moment like this in the scriptures where there's like a decision for us to look at, it almost feels like, okay, cool, you've added another one to the list of decisions I've got to deal with in my life. Uh, life seems like a litany of crossroad decisions. And some are big, some are small, uh, but for, for each of us, we face them daily, and they can actually be really formative in our identity. On the smaller front, it's like Coke or Pepsi, cats or dogs, sunrise or sunsets, sweet or savory, paper books or ebooks. that's probably contentious in the room, Apple or Android, even more contentious, texting or calling. I imagine if I go through this list uh, Everybody in the room is going to lean one direction almost immediately. Maybe you're here and you're a Coke-drinking, dog-loving, sunrise-watching, sweet-eating, paper-book-reading, Android-using, voice-call-choosing human. Not to put you in a box or anything, but um, we face decisions. And they, they inform a lot of the things that we do, how we present ourselves, the identity that we hold. And it's fascinating how these micro decisions inform who we are, but in many ways they're the appetizer to the main dish of decisions that we face. Whether it's career, marriage, education, starting a family, ethical and legal dilemmas, health, lifestyle, politics, and of course, faith. These big decisions that we are faced with on a daily basis and suddenly being identified by the decisions are less tongue-in-cheek and more accurate than we might care to admit. These ongoing moments of decision-making can culminate in this phenomenon called decision fatigue. Psychotherapist Natasha Duke, she says that these are spaces where the more decisions a person makes over the course of the day, the more physically, mentally, and emotionally depleted they become. And this is different than mental fatigue, which is more the cognitive decision-making we're faced with or the multitasking and realities that we often undergo. Mental fatigue, decision fatigue, two different categories. And when it comes to decision fatigue, we feel exhausted. I think we've all experienced this to some degree. There's like a brain fog that kind of sets in. There's all these symptoms that we can liken. Man, I made a lot of decisions today, and I am exhausted to the point where I don't want to even make a single decision about what I'm having for dinner. I'm done. No more decisions for me. We've all experienced this. This is a very human reality, especially within our Western context. And within the past 50 years, I would say that the number of decisions that we're asked to make on a daily basis has increased exponentially. 
our interconnectedness, our global reality, our smartphones that are in our face, the, the way that we're interconnected to our workplace well beyond our work hours, the way that our emails keep coming in even when I'm just trying to send a text message and now my brain is elsewhere and I need to make a decision about that. We get exhausted by this reality. And so when Jesus talks about a crossroads, a decision that we have to make, we can do the exact same thing that we do with dinner and we say, I don't want to even bother with that. I'm making enough decisions as it is. And then what do we do? We, we end up vegging. And we try and do something where we, we even say, I, I've said for myself, I'm going to just turn my brain off. And it's different than the physical activity of going for a, a run or a walk or enjoying nature or even uh, engaging intentionally in a story by reading a book. All this to say, we face important decisions over and over and over again. And sometimes we're exhausted to the point that we want, don't want to think about it. And then Jesus says, there's a narrow path and there's a wide path. And we're not sure what to do with it. He's asking, which gate will you go through? Which way will you go? If you're here this morning and you've asked questions recently, or this is the first time you're considering questions around faith, wherever you find yourself, we say this at City Collective, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not sure about Jesus, uh, we hope that this place can be a safe one for you to consider what life might look like if Jesus is at the center of it. I'm so captivated with who Jesus is and even more so when we explore things like the Sermon on the Mount where he presents this idea of an upside-down kingdom, this manifesto of what life could look like outside of the reality that we find ourselves in that's countercultural, that's counterintuitive to the way that we're so normalized in our living. Jesus says there's a better life, there's a better way, and I want you to find it. And then we get to this, this verse. And we see it say, few will find it. And we're like, cool. That's like the pick-me-up I needed on a Sunday morning. <laughs> In my decision fatigue, now you're saying few will find it. I don't know what to do with that. Today's passage is one of those passages that gets thrown around to tout doom and gloom. And because of the language of destruction and narrowness, it can paint an image of God that Jesus doesn't really reflect. Jesus says this, and our interpretation is going to lead to a picture or formation of God that is often different than the way that Jesus lives his life. Because I would say that he spent a lot of time with individuals that we would liken to not finding it. So when you're reading this passage, it's important to remember that it's part of this broader sermon. Both last year and leading up to this Sunday, this idea of the upside-down kingdom presented by Jesus is all intertwined. So this verse, or this set of verses, is best understood when it's not read in isolation. Rather, let's remember a few things. The Beatitudes, which open the Sermon on the Mount, are not just fillers to make a good opening to a wider conversation. The Beatitudes are in many ways the meat of the Sermon on the Mount. And then what follows is the way that we live it out. The way the practical realities of life have to be considered on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's asking the practical ways in which the life that you're living 
could be captivated by God and live into the kingdom that he's presenting. Because this is what he's saying. He's inviting us to live a life loving our enemies, seeking peace, offering forgiveness, rejecting revenge, and so much more. So all those things, we need the Holy Spirit. We need strength that's beyond ourselves. And then we get up to this verse, and then we can be like, I don't know what to do with that completely. So while we're reading this, don't forget the one who's teaching it. All the way through is the same one who makes this statement. I've also found that this passage is often talked about from the perspective of how hard it is to obey God and keep, it as, keep his laws. How hard it is to, to, per se, make the grade to get into heaven. How relatively few souls will actually be counted worthy and while the broad majority will end up on the highway to hell. The NLT uses that language if you're wondering where the song title came from. So this is how we think about it. And this is what makes us often brush it over, forget it, ignore the decision that's presented, or push away completely because that's not who I want to be associated with. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, the highway to hell. Doesn't doesn't feel particularly inviting. (laughs) This is one of those passages that can be preached to mean something altogether different than what I believe Jesus intends. A couple of reasons. I think we're often prone to take our own feelings and definitions and apply that to what we constitute to be difficult and narrow, and broad, and wide. We've got our own understanding of what that is, and then we apply that to Jesus' teaching. Simultaneously, we live in a multitasking, thousand decisions a minute. We've got the whole smorgasbord of options in front of us. And when we hear that there's only two options, we're like, that's not going to work for me. Should have seen the menu that I looked at last night. Jesus is making a statement that many of us need to hear. John Stott, he says this. There are, according to Jesus, only two ways, hard and easy. There's no middle way. Entered by two gates, broad and narrow. There is no other gate. Trodden by two crowds, large and small. There is no neutral group. Ending in two destinations, destruction and life. There is no third alternative. The Bible is riddled with moments of decisions. And decisions of what path you're going to take. This is not new language that Jesus introduces. Psalm chapter 1, Proverbs 4, Jeremiah 6, Isaiah 35. Every single one is talking about the paths that we choose to walk. And Jesus continues along this narrative. But we're going to ask the question, what's he really getting at? So with all of this in mind, I wanted to lay that foundation so that we can take a really honest approach to the text and kind of go through it in a very classic way. We're going to consider the where of the passage, what the passage is about, why it matters, and how we do it. A where, what, why, and how. So starting off with the where, where the passage is. I want you to take a moment for yourself, and I want you to consider the context and perhaps you've heard this passage talked about before, if you have. Because whenever I've heard this passage, I've heard it be talked around the idea of like an evangelistic sermon about the eternal life that's in front of us. And in contrast, the destruction that is talked about was identified as the road that leads to hell. In that context, in that understanding, Jesus' warning can sound really explicit. 
The way to become a Christian is hard. Very few will become Christians, and therefore only a very few will end up in heaven. It sounds ominous, in fact. It would seem that Jesus is actually prophesying that hell is for most of the world, and the elect will only be a small remnant. And I think we have actually seen this play out in how we have thought about God within Western culture. There's like an exclusivity of elevation that I, I'm, I'm better than. I, I'm set apart because I'm so much better than this other group or better than. We've, we've separated ourselves based upon our reference to others. And unfortunately, this tone and approach removes the passage from the person and the substance from the sermon. In its original context, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explicitly defines two ways of life and two outcomes. I would contend as we deal with this passage that in order to understand what Jesus is inviting us towards, we need to see this. We need to see that the narrow gate isn't designed to be a picture of believing in Jesus, but rather the way of Jesus. And there's a difference there. We're looking to not simply interpret the scripture as we see fit. We're trying to interpret to see what Jesus is saying. And in the middle of this text, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is making a provocative approach to humanity, saying there is a better way. And then he talks about the narrow gate. The focus of this passage isn't eternal life, it's your current life. So where is the passage? The passage is in the Sermon on the Mount. And preceding verses 13 to 14, the narrow and wide gate, is verse 12. And this is what verse 12 says. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. What is this scripture? It's the golden rule. And the interesting thing to, to notice if you're reading it in your Bible is often verse 12 is separated from verses 13 and 14 by a big title that says the narrow and wide gate. But when we think about the way in which the Bible is presented to us, these titles were not there in the original manuscripts. They're put there for our convenience in our reading. And so our mentality as we read them can be separated. But the reality of it is that verse 12 is very much associated with verses 13 and 14. We need to see as well that this text is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 8 is coming. And it's going to take us back into the life and ministry of Jesus. You're going to see miracles taking place. And out of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. So what this passage is doing, it's serving as the concluding remarks for what Jesus is trying to get across. And what is Jesus getting across often in this text? The contrasting nature between the righteousness of the Pharisees and the righteousness of those who are found in Christ. It's a higher calling of living reliant upon God. So it is indeed narrow, but we have to be paying attention of where the text is. Verse 12 really matters. What is the passage about it? What is Jesus about? I want you to hear this with me. The golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated, is presented by Jesus as being the distillation of the law and the prophets. And then he says that the narrow way is Jesus' distillation of the entire law and prophets. So let's take those two ideas and put them together. How does he summarize the law and the prophets? What is the narrow way? Treat others as you want to be treated. 
the narrow way of the law and the prophets is the way that he adopts and adapts as the Jesus way. And it's according to Jesus, none other than, than the golden rule. We have placated and sanitized the golden rule that we think is just a nice idea. What is it actually provoking in us? What is it actually asking of us? Not niceties, not well wishes, but self-sacrificing love. This is the foundation of the way of Jesus. Therefore, this means that the broad way is not traveled by an irreligious or immoral mindset in the way that Jesus is presenting, but it's for the religious who serve themselves. That they live in pride and seek to justify themselves by their good deeds. In contrast, the narrow way is taken by those who rely upon God's grace for their justification and they respond with the discipleship of gratitude. Jesus says the narrow way leads to life and abundant life starts right now. And this is the way that I want you to live. Why does this make sense? Jesus is talking about life right now, and he presents three images. Two of them we're going to be talking about in upcoming weeks. But all three are metaphors of these two paths of how our lives can go down. We can talk about the two narrow, the narrow and the wide gate. We can talk about the tree that bears fruit. We can talk about the building upon which we build a solid rock foundation, or we're on sandy ground. Jesus is presenting in front of us that my way is going to be a different way, not just for the eternal life that I have promised you, but for the the life that I want for you right now. He's so concerned, not just with the time to come, but with the time that is. And that is an encouragement to us. He wants to be in your story now. What is Jesus about? He's about who you are, where you are right now. And he wants the very best for who you are, where you are right now. Don't get lost in like an eschatological mindset of this future reign of the kingdom to come that you don't see the king that has come in this world in the here and now and this invitation to walk a path that looks like his of self-sacrificing love. This is Jesus using various metaphors to set clear markers of decision points within our existence today which lead to abundant life. The wide gate is the picture of the way of self-seeking. And think about this with me. What is the consequence of a selfish life devoid of sacrificial love, mercy, and forgiveness? Jesus isn't pointing us to say that this is automatically your your ticket to hell. No, he says self-seeking ways lead to destruction lead to self-destruction. He's not talking about being thrown into a medieval torture chamber. Jesus is speaking about something that we all see every single day. Selfish people self-destruct. We see this every single day. That their lives, their relationships, their vocations either suddenly implode or they're in perpetual decay before our eyes. Wide and narrow describe our choices. And in this life, Jesus observes that the wide road is the most popular path, and it seems to be one of selfishness.
The narrow road is the road less traveled, and it's the self-sacrificing one. He's talking about the choices that we make every single day in our life. And he's saying that my way, the narrow way, the Jesus way, is the self-sacrificing way, and few find it. But why do few find it? Not because it is hidden, but because it is hard. Self-sacrificing love feels like losing. Because what did Jesus just describe in his sermon? Take a slap to the face and reject the impulse to retaliate. It's often a bitter blow to our ego. And it's a death to our old self to rise to new life with Christ. And when you talk about it without relationship, without revelation, without an understanding of who Jesus is, who really wants that? Who wants to take a hit and then pretend like it didn't happen? Why would I want to feel like I'm losing in life? I'm going to choose me. I'm going to go down my own path. I'm going to be all about making sure I'm taking care of myself. My own welfare is my utmost priority. And then Jesus says, that is the way to destruction. There's a narrow way. I'm going that way. Will you follow me? So why do we make this decision? Jesus is reinforcing everything that he said is important throughout the Sermon on the Mount, throughout his ministry. And sometimes what happens here is we can hear language like narrow and destruction and we can be like, Jesus turned on me. He's made it impossible for me to actually get to him. Look how hard it is. Doesn't he see how hard I work on a day-to-day basis to get my life right? And now he's saying that it's too, too narrow for me to get through and destruction is my reality. Hear me on this. Jesus has not turned on us. Jesus is always for us. And he makes it clear, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the way and there's life that's found there. The narrow gate is the fulfilling of the law and the prophets by empathetic love of our neighbor in an imitation of Jesus. And here's the deeply disconcerting thing that I found for myself in studying this week. It is entirely possible to cruise down a broken down, a broken road of impending doom while singing praises to Jesus. It happened on the very first Palm Sunday, and it continues to happen today. If we are consoling ourselves with the promise of heaven in the afterlife while creating hell in this present life, we have chosen the wrong way. I would say that the hardest thing for a human to do, we've, we've misconstrued it. We've often likened it to be sticking to rules, r- walking the straight and narrow. We said that's really, really hard. I think the hardest thing for any human to do is actually to truly trust God. Because accepting God's grace is actually surrender of control. And it's surrendering control of any attempt of control in my life. And putting complete and total faith in who Jesus is. Why does this passage matter? Why does this decision matter? This passage matters because our default is often the wrong way. 
Remember that Jesus is always on our side. He isn't trying to shame anyone into believing in him. He looks to bring truth which convicts our hearts, which reveals the way we're going and leads us to life. He wants to reveal something to us this morning. Jesus wants us to see that if you continue on the road that you have naturally been going down, a road that is shaped by religious rules or your own machinations of control or the ways in which you think that you can manufacture holiness and righteousness and goodness in your life by your own strength. If we continue down that road, you will find yourself at a dead end. And part of the challenge with a word like destruction is the idea that there has to be a destroyer. However, it's, cl- it's really clear That when it comes to destruction, Jesus is not speaking of something that God does to us. Rather, it's what what is at the end of the road that we choose. Or perhaps for the more hopeful in the room, it's at the end of the road that you don't choose. Uh, I've had a friend of mine, Jeremy Duncan, say something like this. That Jesus seems to be telling a story that goes something along the lines of this when it comes to Sermon on the Mount. You are blessed because God has come near to you, offering you a new way to move through the world. And the new way looks like me. I will empower you to be part of this new kingdom because all who seek will eventually find. But the truth is, my way is very easy to miss. And many don't even bother looking for it. You see, rather than punishment or retribution that we might take out of this text, the thrust of the narrow road or the wide road image seems to be we need to learn to reject our default. In other words, Jesus isn't threatening destruction on you. He's trying to point you, he's trying to point at the place that you're going. Driving through the mountains uh, out here in BC and a little bit in Alberta can be one of my favorite things. I love the winding roads. I love the imagery. There's so much beauty all around. And it is one of the, like, one of the best places in the world to go on a long drive. But I was talking to someone recently about what it was to actually drive in another place in Canada that some of you are going to hold deeply, like you love it a lot. And it's just the open plains of the prairies. It's not a lot of winding roads there. You see it, and you drive it. (laughs) And you keep driving it. And you keep driving it. And it's a lot of the same thing for a long time. And sometimes when we're on a road like that, it can be hard to keep our attention. Have you ever done this? Have you ever gone on a long drive, lost yourself to cruise control, and you're following along all the other cars going in the same direction at the same speed, and you've been lulled into missing your exit? That seems to me more like what Jesus is talking about here. That the wide, comfortable road will gladly take you to the place of destruction or Edmonton. (laughs) This is why, this is why this passage matters. This is what Jesus is saying. Pay attention. You're driving down the road of life and we are being lulled into thinking we're just going somewhere for the sake of going somewhere. And Jesus is saying, pay attention. Look around you. The off-ramp, the exit isn't hidden. 
but it's going to require you to make a decision to go down it. I am for you, I love you, and no matter what you choose to do, I will never change. This is what Jesus is saying to us. But everything that we are offered in the kingdom exists on the other side of realizing that the path that we are on isn't taking us where we think we want to go. All these counterintuitive positions that he's taught us. More stuff won't make you less anxious. More admiration won't make you more satisfied. More rule following will make you more righteous. More opinions won't make you more respected. In fact, all of these things that he's been teaching us to believe about how the world can work when it's surrounded and consumed by his kingdom, they are on the other side of a decision of saying, I'm going to actually pay attention and take the off-ramp. The narrow, the narrow gate might seem frustrating because of its narrowness, but here's the thing. Let's not, per, let's not get consumed with the idea of its narrowness that we begin to think that it's hidden. The exit ramp is always there. And if you're looking for it, you will find it. But the power of the ramp is that you have to choose it for yourself. Worship team, you can join me at the front. In this scenario, life and ruin are not the things that God does to us, but they are the choice that Jesus is placing before us. Do you hear me? This is not a vindictive God that's saying, you didn't choose me, lightning bolt, dead on the spot. This is a gracious, loving God who's saying, I see the path that you're on and I want the best for you. This path will lead to ruin. This path will lead to life. And get off the highway. It's not going where you think it is. So please pay attention. And then we're kind of left with this idea of how can I do that? How do I get off this highway that I'm just going on? This broad path that is popularized and everyone's of the same mind. It it is a decision. Amongst a life that is full of them and this decision fatigue that we feel, it is a decision that sits at the core of everything. So how do we make a decision to go from the broad path to the narrow path? To steal a line from Steve Jobs. He says that people think focus means saying yes to the thing that you've got to focus on. But that's not what it means. It means this. It means saying no to the hundred other ideas that are there. Getting onto the narrow way requires saying no to the broad way. And hear me here. Life with Jesus is it's never about the no's that we, we make. You can never follow Jesus through what you don't do. The idea of following inherently is forward-facing. It's, it's, it's a yes that we make. But if we're honest, every yes in our life requires a no. Saying yes to Jesus is like every other yes in your life. There's some unknown to it. And there's lots of things that I'm fascinated by. There's lots of things that I want to learn about choosing to to be someone that knows more about God, about in my vocation. I want to be a better pastor. I want to learn all these things. But sometimes it's saying no to certain ideas and concepts and, and searching and focusing on the yes of the ways in which I can best care for our community. If I want to be a great husband and and be present for for my wife, it means saying no to some relationships. 
If I'm saying yes to my family, to showing up for my daughter, it's sometimes saying no to opportunities that feel great that might take away time. Every good decision is often a hard one because every good decision often requires a no to take the step in the right direction. Do you hear my point? How do we begin to take a step onto the narrow path? We need to pay attention and we need to look at the things in our life that are blocking our vision of the off-ramp, that are distracting us from the opportunity to take it and start to say no to the things that we know are preventing us from going on the narrow path so that we can begin to say yes to the way of Jesus. Remember, the narrow path is the way of Jesus. The narrow way is the way of Jesus. And what is the way of Jesus? It is the articulation of love coming into the world, breaking through our selfishness, and seeing the world as God does. Many good decisions are hard decisions. But we have to learn to start saying no to some things to begin to say yes to the way that Jesus wants to invite us. So my question for you this morning, what do you need to start saying no to in order to start saying yes to the way of Jesus? And it might seem daunting. And even when we do take a step onto that path, the reality is there are voices and temptations and things that want to draw us away from it. But some of those voices, some of those things that are wanting to pull us away, we need to say no to and be okay with leaving them behind. This is hard. Because often they're tied into identity, into our control, into familiarity, and to rhythm and routine. But we need to move past our default into the way of Jesus that lives a way that is self-sacrificing. Have you noticed that living a self-sacrificing life just doesn't come naturally? <laughs> that I actually have to do, pay, I actually have to pay attention. I have to walk into a space and pay attention to someone that might be standing in a corner looking like everything is against them. I need to be present in the space, listening to what the Holy Spirit might be inviting me to say that could be an encouragement to someone else. It's not letting life happen to you. It's letting the Spirit of God work through you. But we need to pay attention. We need to take a step. We need to start saying no to some things in order to say yes to the way of Jesus. So again, Am I on the often traveled path of selfishness or on the narrow path of Christ's sacrificial love? Have you chosen a path of life with Jesus or a life on your own terms? And if you're here today and you find yourself deterred, lost, distracted, pulled in all directions, going with the crowd, continuing the Broadway, then ask that question again. What do I need to say no to this morning to begin to say yes to the way of Jesus? And it can start with one thing. Do you believe that his way is the best way?
He wants you to find freedom in that. Can we pray together? Father, we offer this morning to you every word spoken, every moment shared. I just pray that the things that sit upon our hearts and minds, the things that are in our path that serve as distractions from your way, that we're being lulled into our existence, we're not intentionally living, that we just feel ourselves going through the mundane and the motions day by day. I pray, Spirit of God, would you, would you open our eyes? Would you help us to pay attention? To, to see the the narrow path, the, the, the better path, the way of Jesus that is available to us. It's not hidden. It's not blocked. It's wide open and available to us. So Jesus, I just pray right now that you would give us eyes to see in our lives how <coughs> you are at work, how you are inviting us into your kingdom, how your spirit is doing amazing things <coughs> around us. So I just pray, Spirit of God, Give us eyes to see how we can say no to things in our life so we can begin to say yes to you. Bring to the forefront of our minds the things that are blocks and barriers, even if they're hard, and give us the courage to even ask the question, how do I say no to this today, to this relationship, to this practice, to this routine, to this mindset, to this ideology? How is it preventing me from walking the way of Jesus? One of mercy, love, and forgiveness. One of self-sacrificing. One of generosity. Why am I hesitant to walk those paths? Bring those to the forefront of our mind. And I just pray that we begin to feel freedom this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.